0: if you would this evening turn to a familiar passage for many of us 1 Corinthians chapter 13 hopefully many of you have this section of scripture memorized because this contains all our memory verses from 2022 in our morning service if you come in the morning worship then each week except for communion Sundays we, rec- we recite a memory verse that we look at all month long And last year we went all the way through the book, or through the chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. It is one of the most beloved chapters. It is one of the most well-known chapters. It is also, I think, however, one of the chapters most frequently ripped out of its context. Some of the truths do indeed stand alone about what love is and how important are the things describing love. But overall... The meaning of this chapter is found in the context of paul's discussion with the corinthians about spiritual gifts so follow along as i read and then we'll look briefly at this chapter 13 let's read or recite together if i speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love i am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's bow in prayer. Father, this is a wonderful chapter, contains much necessary truth for the church. I pray that you will allow us to hear it and understand it by the power of your spirit, and that you will shape us and discipline us, that we might understand these truths and apply them to our walk with you. I pray, Lord, that the words spoken here and the meditations of our thoughts and our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, remove anything that is not, that we might not hear from it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this past week, we had a Presbytery meeting. Now, if you don't know much about Presbyterian churches, you know that, uh, you perhaps don't know that uh, Presbyterians uh, feel that their churches are connected. So about once a quarter, that is once every three months, a presbytery will get together, that is all of the teaching elders and representative ruling elders from each church to meet together and discuss things about how pastors are called and to test and examine those who might be called to a church. Also to, discour- to encourage one another in their ministry to consider mission work not just in individual churches but in the region and the world, to pray together, to worship together, and in essence to understand that we are not alone as churches. That is, we're not our own little kingdoms. The kingdom of God is made up in all of those churches who are faithful in proclaiming the gospel. But sometimes at those meetings or even sometimes at our session meetings, Those that are there might describe those meetings as the business of the church. I don't know how many times I've heard someone pray that God would be with us as we go about the business of the church. Now, first of all, that term is problematic because the business of the church is not just judicial matters or procedural matters or the meetings that we have once a quarter. The business of the church is actually worship discipleship, evangelism, acts of mercy, all the things that we do for the kingdom of God are the business of the church. And no business of the church works properly on its own. You see, that's what the purpose of this chapter is. Evidently, in Corinth, one of the problems that was going on is they sought, in one sense, to be divided and to consider some people as better leaders than others, Divided considering that some people had better gifts than others. And we know that even as they observed the Lord's Supper together, some of them felt like they were more important than others and got more than others did. And as they did all these things, and particularly as they came together to worship, Paul said it's not proper just to be busy about the kingdom work. It's proper to do kingdom work In a more excellent way. This is what he says at the end of chapter 12. I will show you a still more excellent way. And of course in this he's talking about their use of the spiritual gifts. Their unity as one body. And how they are to please God as they come together as the people of God. And this chapter then describes that excellent way. It is the way of love. So here are the points to this chapter. Love is a necessity in the use of spiritual gifts. It also describes what love is like and what love is not like. We are reminded that love never falls and that these three, faith, hope, and love, will remain forever. First of all, love is a necessity in the use of spiritual gifts. This, after all, is the context here. Chapter 12 and then chapter 14 afterwards pick up this theme of spiritual gifts, particularly the gift that seemed to be causing a lot of trouble in the Corinthian church, the gift of tongues. And so here it is. He is saying the excellent way in regard to using the spiritual gifts in the church And he reminds them, first of all, in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 13, how these gifts would be without love. In essence, he's saying love is a necessity in the use of these gifts, but let's look at what would happen if they didn't have love with them. First of all, he says, without love, tongues are just noise. Here's what he says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, of course, they would have been quite familiar with these instruments. They would have been used by the pagans to call people to their worship ceremonies and feasts in the pagan temples. Corinth, after all, was known for its bronze works, and so these gongs and these cymbals were noisy, but they did not contain the ability to carry a tune. They were noises. And so here he is, if you have these great gifts of speaking in languages, either the languages of men or angels, in fact, any language you can think of, if you have these gifts and you use them, but you don't use them in a loving way, they're just noise. Then he says this, Verse 2, if I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. In other words, he says, without love, these amount to nothing. Here are the four things he says, prophetic powers. Again, one of those perhaps more evidently powerful gifts of the Spirit. You'll notice that all four of these seem to be of the upper class or powerful things. The idea to prophesy, that is to give the words of God and reveal God's word to his people. The second one is understanding mysteries. This was particularly something that would have been meaningful to the Corinthian church who was very interested in getting secret, deeper knowledge. And he says, even if you understand these deep things, if you do so without love, you are nothing. The third thing is knowledge. Evidently, there was a gift that would give them the ability to give some type of knowledge. We don't exactly understand how this works. But again, this is understanding to be the knowledge of God somehow. And the fourth thing is faith. And of course, faith all of them would have. But evidently, there is a particularly powerful spiritual gift... That is miracle working. And so he says this faith, all faith, so as to remove mountains. In other words, all of these very evident, powerful miracles involving knowledge and involving particularly powerful things. If you exhibit all these gifts without love, you amount to nothing. And then of course... The last verse of this section, verse 3, If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Without love, these actions gain nothing. Now you know what it is to be sacrificial in your giving. In fact, there are those who are great givers in our society. They're philanthropists. In fact, some people even have a job. The The whole job they have is to give away money to others. And they perhaps have the opportunity to look at resumes and look at opportunities to fund and give gifts or charitable things to people, scholarships or other things. And they might give these things. And he says, if you have this giving and you are able to give everything that you had away, imagine that you are so philanthropic that you gave every last morsel of your treasure away. If you do this without love, It does not benefit you. The other phrase is perhaps even more alarming. This particular translation says, I deliver up my body to be burned, but I think rather the better translation here with the word choice is to boast. In other words, if I give up my body to boast but have not love, I gain nothing. What is he talking about? One option, if it is appropriate here to translate it to be burned, that would mean that they were giving them their body as a sacrifice. Perhaps particularly thinking of martyrdom in the, time, the later time from this period in the Roman Empire. But I here I think it's a better translation to understand in this context, in the Corinthian church, before these martyrdoms took place in this fashion... And because of the words described here in the ancient texts, to say, to boast. In other words, to give up your body for slavery for the benefit of others. And of course, why would somebody do that? In one sense, they might do that because they loved somebody. But in another sense, they might do that to gain in their reputation. He says, even sacrificial loving... If you do this without love, it gains you nothing. I think sometimes some of us will do anything for our own reputation. Imagine giving away everything to get your name on as many things as possible. I understand that there is actually in my alma mater, my college, an Irwin family scholarship. There are those in my family who gave from last generation from previous generations there were lots of Irwins who went to that particular small Christian college and so now there is an Irwin scholarship when I walked around the campus at that particular college there were all kinds of buildings that were named different things there was McCreary Hall Uh, There was Campbell Hall. There was Kilburn Hall. There were all these different names for halls, and all of them were named after someone who gave money to the college in order to have their name placed on those things. The gym was named. The courtyard was named. Everything seemed to have a name. In my first church, there were hymnals in the pews in which you opened up the hymnal on the first page. It said, this hymnal was given in dedication and memorial of so-and-so. There were people who gave things to have their names placed on something. But imagine you gave away everything you had. Maybe you had a great fortune and you had your name placed on buildings and colleges and on stained glass windows and church buildings and in places around the community and there were all kinds of places where your name was given because you gave in a charitable way. But if you did that, for yourself, Paul says, it's worthless. There's nothing good about it. You can do all of those things, but without love and without the selfless nature of giving and the selfless nature of doing these amazing and powerful things within the context of the church, it is worthless. So then he describes what it means to use these gifts for the glory of God. What does it mean to have love when you're pro- professing faith in Christ, when you are carrying out the spiritual gifts in the business of the church? What is love like? Here are some terms. Love is patient. I think I've said before, as an American, I think I said this morning in my Sunday school class, And as an American, I'm not very patient but here it means particularly patient in relation to others. And with that patience, you are also kind. You know, what is it like to use God's gifts in a way which just rams others and rams into them with all of the sense of a bowl in a china shop? No, love is kind. Love rejoices with the truth, verse 6. It rejoices with the truth, not the errors of the day, not the wrong things that we do. We're not so excited to hear of how somebody sinned in the past. We're excited about how they've come to truth in the present. We rejoice in true things, not false things. And then notice verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You can have an extra blank in there. I only provided three there's one more, believes, bears, hopes, endures. What is it talking about here? Is love just optimistic or naive? No. Love, again, this idea of patiently enduring even difficult experiences, patiently enduring times of prosperity and times of poverty. Love believes all things. That doesn't mean we believe everything in in the world, every kind of doctrine or theology. It means that you believe, that is, you have faith in all things transpiring according to God's purpose. You believe all the things of God. You hope all things. You have confident, eager expectation that the things of God and the things of God's grace are true. And again, you endure all things. You see, there's something about love which describes to us a realistic optimism and understanding that on the one hand, yes, we live in a sinful world. We want to hear the good things and not the bad things. On the other hand, we have the hope of heaven. And we also understand that when we look at others, We don't look at all the bad qualities first. We look for the evidence of those things before we come to someone. You see, there's even a provision in our own legal system which was built on principles of scripture of all things. And of course, in our legal system, it is supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. The larger catechism of the Westminster Confession of Faith When it comes to telling the truth or not bearing false witness, it says, in part, these things, that this requires a charitable esteem of our neighbors, loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good name, and defending their innocency. And it goes on and on and on. In other words, we're not out there to look at all the bad things and and to, to look at someone and consider and suspect them of evil, even though we know they're sinners, we're out there to hope and bear and endure and believe good things until we hear otherwise. That is love. But love is not like these things. And, of course, these things particularly apply to the context of the Corinthian church. It's not envious. Here was a church in which some people were looking down on the gifts of others and other people were jealous of the gifts of others. Here was a church that considered some leaders to be good and some bad because they had differences in the way they preached or the way they taught or other things. They were divided one from the other. There was envy all through this church. He says that's not love. Secondly, love is not boastful. It's not all about the the pride and the arrogance of someone who's done something. In other words, if you have one of these gifts and you're able to teach others or you're able to uh, give the gifts that were given in those days when tongues and prophecy and the like, there are elements of pride. There are elements to be used for the sake of God's kingdom. Love is also, see, not arrogant it's not prideful. It's not something, and we look, we, we, we look down on others because of the gifts that we've been given. It's also, as it says here, not rude. The word rude here means to behave indecorously or unbecomingly. And, of course, this was the norm for those who came from a pagan background who did all kinds of terrible things in worshiping their gods, immorality, giving in ways that were not appropriate for man, and doing all those things that should not be done, love is not like this. It does not behave within decorum. It also does not insist on its own ways. I think sometimes this is where we all struggle, doesn't it? We think we're right. We think we want to know things or do things according to our particular way, to submit to the ways of God and to submit to the leadership in a church and to submit to the leadership in marriage and family and all those things, we want our way, don't we? As I've said before in this place, sometimes we sing Paul Sinatra's tune. I want to do it my way. But in the church, it's all about God's ways. It's also not irritable. The word for irritable means it does not provoke or incite. I have to say, sometimes I can understand that I am irritable. That is, when I'm tired or I'm in pain or other things, I'm busy. And those things, sometimes someone can come to me and I can be irritable. That is, like the bear who doesn't like to be disturbed. And he says here, that's not the way of love. It also is not resentful. The King James Version says it does not count up wrongs in essence. This is really the literal sense here. does not count evil. In other words, it doesn't keep track. It doesn't have a record of evil. It doesn't have the baseball card on the back where it shows how many times somebody has lied, how many times somebody has offended, how many times somebody has done X, Y, or Z against the word and law of God. It doesn't keep track in that way. There are not statistics of evil that someone keeps track of with others. And it rejoices not with wrongdoing. The world, I think sometimes, as we know, they rejoice at wrongdoing. The ratings of the news that gives bad news is higher than the ratings of the news that gives good news. But love is not like that. When it comes to love that's not envious, boastful, arrogant, rude, insists on its own ways, irritable, resentful, or wrongdoing, I cannot help. But think of the pastor who came to me in South Dakota, one of my fellow churches. And he talked to me on the phone and he said, By the way, I think I'm going to leave this church because I can't take it anymore. He said it all started when the ruling elder came to me with his little notebook. And in his little notebook, this ruling elder had kept track of everything that he thought that pastor had done wrong. And so he met with him in his office and he went page by page and he said, I see that you've done this wrong, you've done this wrong, you've done this wrong, you've done that wrong, and I think you need to fix that and you need to do this. And that person, even if he was describing things that that pastor had done wrong, even if he was doing those things, keeping track of those things is not love. We don't keep track of the errors of others. In fact, from Proverbs, it reminds us, love covers many things. Love is not like these things, but is patient, kind, bears hopes, believes, and endures all things, rejoices with the truth. And in the end, love does not fall. Verse 8 says, love never ends. The word is fall or fail never fails reminds us other things will fail we would like some things to fail is that not true we would like the things that we don't like in this life to fail but here he says even some good things some profitable things some things that are gifts even of the Holy Spirit will stop at some point he describes these things that will cease or stop prophecies tongues or languages and knowledge they will pass away he's reminding the corinthian church that love is more important than these things that they've lifted up to the top of the church that they've considered the most important amongst their assembly and they evidently especially lifted up these gifts connected with revelation gifts of prophecy Gifts of languages or tongues. Gifts of knowledge. All of those things they've lifted up and all of these have to do with giving the revelation of God's word and purpose to the people in the church. And he says these things will cease. These three things, these aforementioned things, it says in verse 9, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. In other words, he's saying these gifts are incomplete or partial. When he's saying these things, he's reminding them or perhaps teaching them for the first time that some of these spiritual gifts, particularly the revelatory gifts, will cease. There will be a cessation of these gifts because they're only a shadow of the truth that was to come and be fulfilled in the closed canon of God's word in the New Testament. From childhood to manhood, these were to be. He begins to describe the partial, like a child. Verse 11, when I was child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. You see, when we grow up in the faith then maturity eliminated the need for revelatory gifts. And of course we understand that even these great gifts that God had given for the church in Corinth and the church before the New Testament was complete, even these gifts would pass away because at that point in time they were incomplete. But now the better way in love, in the word expressed through Christ, is mature, and in all of this is the transformation to the of the image of God. Here's what he says: For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part; then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Corinth was also now known for its mirrors or its glass. Unfortunately, Corinth was filled with those who couldn't afford their own mirrors. The average Christian sitting in the church service, would not have been able to afford a good mirror. They might have one because of the mirrors or the glass that was available in Corinth, but they did not have good ones. And so when they heard these words about seeing in a mirror or a glass dimly, they understood that it was the quality of the mirror that was so important. You see, Paul is saying here, you can have all the most wonderful gifts. You can see them all on display. You can even have all these wonderful things and ministries and other things being done in the church. In fact, there might be people doing amazing and powerful things that even have the appearance of selflessness. But if they don't have the love that you grow to understand in church, it's all for nothing at the end perhaps this most well known verse of the bunch chapter 13 verse 13 faith hope and love abide these three but the greatest of these is love notice he says these three remain prophecies won't languages the gift of languages spiritual gift will not in fact the gift of knowledge and whatever that meant in those days would not either but these three do Faith, hope, and love. Both Paul as well as Peter and the author to the Hebrews all link these three words in the New Testament. It occurs ten different times that these words are linked together. What is it about these three things that is so important? Without faith, we have no relationship with God. Without hope, which is built upon faith, that eager expectation that the things we've been taught and told about Jesus Christ and salvation are true. Without hope, there is hopelessness and nothing. And of course, without love, without God's love, we would not be able to have any of these things. And without love, then we would not be born again. You know, all products that people try to sell, they try to advertise as lasting, don't they? You've heard, of course, diamonds are forever. You've heard, perhaps, that coffee, certain brands of coffee are good to the last drop. You understand that that these things will have a lifetime guarantee. Is that not true? But what is really lasting? What is really lasting is not the gifts that we have for this life, is not the things of this world is not even the great mysteries that are given to us and described to us through powerful prophecies and revelation. What is really lasting is the love of the Father for his people. That when they come to faith in Jesus Christ and they have rested their hope upon him alone, it will last forever. Are these just mere priorities about what love is like and how we should exhibit those things, or is it something else? You see, it's not... So much a choice of one ministry over another or a choice of one way over another way. This is so much the way in which we do the business of the church in general. This is how we go about kingdom work and seek God's kingdom first is to do so in love, God's brand of love that should permeate through all. When you're using your gifts in our church, when you're involved in ministries and, kingdom, or ministries and services in our church, when you are doing the things that you do as a believer in Jesus Christ, are you doing it with love? If you're not, it's worth nothing. Let's bow in prayer. Father, help us not to be childlike, but to mature and grow that we might exhibit love in everything we do. Lord, help us in these qualities of love. They're not natural to us because we are by nature sinners. But Lord, you can cause us and have caused us who believe in you to be born again, to be new creatures in Christ. And Father, we pray that as new creatures, we might exhibit the love that you have demonstrated to us as we interact with others. Lord, help us not just to do things, but to do them in love. We pray in Jesus' name.